All right, welcome in episode 133 of the Hot Grits Podcast. I'm Travis Shadon. We will get going today talking Braves football, also President's Cup coming up in golf. But first, Coach's Corner, title sponsor here on the Hot Grits Podcast. Find them at 3016 East Victory Drive or www.coaches.net. You can call ahead your order 912-352-2933. When you go to Coach's Corner, tell them the Hot Grits Podcast sent you. They will hook it up for you. Perfect place to watch your football this fall, but also the Braves as they make their playoff push. The TP going up at Coach's Corner, the world-famous TP, going up on October 4th, I hear. So make plans now for that. Also check out the other shows on the Coach's Corner Sports Network. That is Who is on First Base Baseball Podcast with Carl Damasi and Kyle Lawson. Uh, you also have Carl on Wednesday nights and Saturday mornings um, from live from Coach's Corner talking all things local sports. Rubbin' and Grubbin' with Brandon Bay and the NASCAR show on Wednesday nights. Also archived on YouTube. Uh, check it all out on the Coach's Corner Facebook page. And again, when you go to Coach's Corner, tell them the Hot Grits podcast sent you. www.coaches.net if you want to check out the uh, concert calendar. 3016 East Victory Drive. Or call ahead your order if you want to order one of those lunch specials. Monday through Friday. It's 912-352-2933. Coach's Corner, the number one sports bar in Savannah, and our title sponsor here on Savannah's number one podcast. All right, let's get after it for a 133rd time. Hot Grits Podcast. Ain't nobody gonna this your boy I mean, I've always kind of believed in aliens. I don't know if I believe in flying saucers. You might as well just walk up to Cupid while he's on his lunch break, you know, cranking the heat or something. Yeah. Him right in the face. Punch some little baby right in. We'll see that. We're almost uh, three minutes into our sports podcast and yet to bring up not one sport. All right, let's get going here on Hot Grits Podcast. Rolling solo today, but we got a lot to get to. So I don't think we'll have any trouble filling the time. Thank you, as always, for listening. If you haven't already, hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you're listening to this. Five stars only. You guys know the drill. Um, let's, start, let's talk Braves. Let's start with the Braves. We could start with football, a lot of football to get to, including Georgia, Georgia Southern Falcons. A little bit of high school football action, too, but... The Braves, as I record this Monday evening, are 91-55 and 55, heading into their three-game series with Washington, uh, six of the next ten versus Washington, which is the worst team in baseball. So that's good news. Uh, the Braves are a game back from the Mets, technically, but in the loss column, which is what baseball guys look at, and I'm a baseball guy, in the loss column, they're tied. So Braves 91 and 55, Mets 93 and 55. Um, if the playoffs started on Monday, the Braves would host the Padres in a best of three series that begins on October 7th. Um, the Braves playoff magic number is four. Right now, that's to make the playoffs. Um, but they are right on the heels of the Mets. Like I said, I mean, you could look at it in a way where the Braves are actually tied. Mets went six and four in their last ten. Braves uh, six and four 
in their last 10. So, you know, I wouldn't call it treading water, but the Braves have avoided uh, going into, you know, a mini slump pretty much all season. And there's a lot of guys on the team that aren't playing well right now. So, you know, to, to be even with the Mets or to be a game back from the Mets, pretty good. I think that's pretty good. Uh, they swept the Phillies, who are in a free fall right now. Um, and like I said, they get Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Nationals, four against the Phillies, and then you get the Nationals again. So take care of business against the Nationals. See what happens against the Phillies this weekend. Um, and then go from there. A little bit of news off the field for the Braves, and then we'll jump back on the field. Uh, on September 26th, while they're in Washington, the Braves will visit the White House and President Joe Biden for winning the 2021 World Series. So that's awesome for the Bravos. That's just ahead of that gigantic Mets series, uh, which starts a couple days after that. So, uh, you know, I don't know how much that stuff matters. But, you know, I certainly, if I'm the Braves, like you, it's not like you can turn down going to the White House as a team. You know, individual players have done that in other sports in the past. You can't turn it down as a team, and it's an honor to go. I mean, they won the world title. That's part of the, you know, that's part of the shtick. When you win it, you get to go to the White House. But still, I'd rather had come in July, you know, or in June. Maybe not in late September when they're tied in a, in a division race. Not exactly ideal, but I, you know, I don't think that will be too big of a deal for the Braves. So what about on the field? Uh, Spencer Strider. Remember when people wanted to trade Spencer Strider? Not me. Remember when people wanted to move him to the bullpen? Not me. Not me. Spencer Strider becomes the first Braves rookie to have 200 strikeouts in a season since, you guys will know this name, since Kid Nichols. Old Kid Nichols did it back in 1890. Household name Kid Nichols in 1890 was the last time a Braves rookie had 200 strikeouts in a season. Strider did it in record pace. I think it's an all-time MLB record. 130 innings it took him to get to 200 strikeouts, uh, and that's insane. I think he broke Randy Johnson's rookie record for doing that, and I think Johnson did it in like... 130 and two-thirds innings. So Strider is, is, I would think, pretty close to being a lock for Rookie of the Year. He also might be the best pitcher on the Braves staff. I mean, I think Max Fried goes out game one in the playoffs. But, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if it was Strider. That, that certainly would, would make some sense, wouldn't it? Uh, bad news, Ozzie Albies got hurt again. He came back for like 45 seconds, then got hurt again. He's out for the rest of the regular season, won't need surgery. Um, but I, you know, I don't know if he comes back for the playoffs. And what that means is Vaughn Grissom likely will stay right there in that 8-9 hole um, and play second base pretty much every day. So now you're talking about maybe your best pitcher, rookie. Uh, your starting center fielder, your everyday center fielder, rookie. Your starting second baseman, everyday second baseman, rookie. 
that is, you know, not worrisome come playoff time. But, you know, that's something that the Braves dealt with when Albies and Acuna and Riley and all these guys were young guys and they were getting ripped up by the Dodgers. You know, I'm thinking in 20, what, 2019 or 2018, 2019, 2020, when the Braves were failing in the postseason. All that was happening while those guys were real young. So I do wonder about that. What will Grissom, Harris, and Strider look like come playoff time? That's something that will be a storyline when the Braves line up in the playoffs. It is so crucial that the Braves win the division and not settle for the wild card. Not just for the first round. Like obviously, Obviously, you'll get the bye if you win the division. That's huge. Duh. You won't have to play the Padres. But the thing is, if you can get that two seed, if you can win the NL East and get the two seed, because the Dodgers are a lock for the one seed, okay? But if the Braves can get the two seed, they won't have to play the Dodgers until the NLCS. If they're the wild card team, and let's just assume that they beat the Padres, they're still going to have to play the Dodgers after that, and not in a best of seven. It'll be in a best of five. The Braves would have to play the Dodgers in a best of five just to advance to the NLCS. And the Dodgers will be coming off essentially a week of rest. So they will be fully loaded and ready to roll. The Braves, meanwhile, theoretically would would have had to use Freed, Strider, uh, maybe Charlie Morton if it goes if it goes three games. Kyle Wright might have to go like that. That's not what you want. You don't want to have to play the Dodgers in the second round. So it's super important, obviously, that the Braves spend everything they have to try to win the division. There are some guys to worry about, though. Like, there are some guys that are struggling. Matt Olson, in the month of September, 15 games, hitting .074. He's hitting .074 with 20 Ks and 6 walks. Um, So that's 15 games. But let's go back even further. What about the last 23 games? He's hitting 140 with a 229 on base. That's not good from your four-hole guy. That's not good at all. And, you know, Riley hitting in that three-hole for, for basically the last month. Um, I know early in September, Olsen was kind of shifting into that two-hole while Acuna was out. Um, but, but Matt Olsen is not right right now. And like I said at the beginning, you know, that's the Braves winning six out of every ten, while Matt Olson, your your you know everyday first baseman, your cleanup hitter, is struggling to the tune of .074. And you know that's pretty good. Like, if I told you Matt Olson was going to hit .074 in September, I would think the Braves would have done way worse than they have so far. What about Dansby? In the month of September, same sample size, 15 games, 226 batting average, 19 strikeouts in 15 games for Swanson to go against just four walks. So it's essentially your two-hole hitter and your four-hole hitter. Pretty awful in the month of September. You know, not just slightly below average, pretty bad. Pretty bad. So Bray's managing to hang in there while those two things are happening. What is happening, though, I think, is Ronald Acuna starting to heat up. 
if Ronald Acuna, you know, needed Ozzy Albies, uh, it hasn't shown up in the last couple of days. But there is a stat that I want to throw out there that uh, I think it was Mark Bowman from MLB.com had this. When Albies is healthy this year, when Albies is healthy this year, Acuna has a 9.23 OPS. Without Ozzy Albies, he has a 6.80 OPS. So it's almost 300 points difference in the OPS. It matters that Ozzy Albies is around. That's why it's so important that he didn't have to have surgery, Albies, because at least, hopefully, I think this will be the case, Albies will remain with the team for right now. And I think that matters to Ronald Acuna because he said that after the game, after Saturday night when he went, I think he was like four for five, uh, drove in all of the Braves' runs against the Phillies, um, and it was bittersweet still to Acuna because that was the night that Ozzy Albies got hurt. And, you know, he said that after the game. Hopefully Ozzy will be able to hang around. I think Brian Snicker and those guys, you know, will look at that and be able to tell that that matters. I mean, 300 points in the OPS, that's nothing to sneeze at. You know, that's nothing, that, you know, that's something you probably can't ignore. Acuna in his last six games hitting 333, 360 on base, six RBIs. Um, so he's starting to come around, I think, a little bit better than he was when he first returned. I think those 10, 12 days off for him were really, really important. Um, and maybe looking back, that was really smart of Brian Snicker to do that. I mean, I don't know that Snicker envisioned Albies getting hurt, but... For right now, that looks like a good plan. And, you know, I do think the top of the Braves lineup is pretty solid. If everyone's playing the way that they can, that they can, that they're capable of with Acuna at the top, um, Swanson two, Riley three, and Olsen in the cleanup spot. So, again, hopefully the Bravos can stay hot against the Nationals, then against the Phillies. You know who's always hot? John Carr. The guy's on an eternal heater, the best realtor in the area, and our good sponsor here on the Hawk Ritz Podcast. If you have any real estate needs, whether you're buying or selling real estate, or you just want to learn more about the market, call John Carr today or, give, or shoot him a text, 912-228-0916, 912-228-0916, and he can help you out with your real estate needs. Um, all right. Let's, let's get to Georgia. Georgia's 3-0, 1-0 in the SEC after a shellacking of South Carolina. 48-7 over the Gamecocks. Poor Shane Beamer. Poor South Carolina fans. Poor Sandstorm. They got run out the building, but hey, at least they scored a touchdown. They're the first team that scored a touchdown against Georgia all year, and it came with like 50 seconds left in the game. Uh, Stetson Bennett was really good again. He's averaging 317 yards passing per game. Five touchdown passes on the year, no interceptions, uh, 74% completion rate for Bennett. And Georgia is absolutely rolling. It's their offense, yeah, but the defense too. I mean, they've outscored in three games. They've outscored opponents 130 to 10. They're allowing 3.3 points 
per game. It's nuts. I mean, that's Looney Tunes. Bennett was really good in, in the limited action he had against South Carolina. 69% completion rate, so that's nice. He moves to 17-3 and three as a starter. Also interesting, I thought uh, Bennett, 8th in, in UGA passing yards history. 8th most passing yards in the history of Georgia football. And he still has plenty of games left. Presumably, he's 6th on the all-time passing touchdowns list. Uh, seven touchdown passes short of Matt Stafford. So he's seven shy of seven, of number seven, Matt Stafford. Crazy to think about everything that Stetson Bennett has already gone through. And to think that he's approaching, you know, top five territory for all-time UGA quarterbacks. Pretty wild to think about. Brock Bowers continues to be an absolute beast. He's a beast. He had five catches, 121 yards, two TDs, catching two TDs through the air against South Carolina, um, and he's rolling. Kirby Smart now, 69 wins as the Georgia head coach. Nice. He's 69 and 15 overall, 31 and five against the SEC East. So that's solid as shit. Um, I thought this was interesting. When taking a look at Georgia's offense. 16 touchdowns uh, this season offensively. 14 of those 16 touchdown drives have come in nine plays or less. 12 of those, 12 of the 16 touchdowns have come in less than four minutes of possession time. That means that Georgia doesn't need a lot of time and they don't need a lot of plays to score. And you guys do not need me to tell you that's a recipe for success um, you, you know, I don't think that there's anybody, I'm not sure there's anybody in the country right now that's worthy of talking about in the same vein as Georgia. They're number one and for a good reason. But I continue to look at, at the Tennessee game or the Florida game and the Tennessee game back to back there in late October and November. I think those are the two you would circle, maybe Kentucky, maybe. And then, you know, it's probably going to be Alabama. There in early December, I guess Georgia will cross that road when it gets to it. Uh, On Monday, Kirby Smart, this is good. Let's clip this in. Kirby Smart was asked about a comparison between last year's team and this year's team. Uh, Let's let you hear that question and then what Kirby Smart had to say about it. I I don't do comparisons. I've said that repeatedly. You can't compare anybody to last year because last year's team's 15 number in the NFL. So. It's one of those things that this team has a long way to go. Um, the worst thing that can happen to this team is start believing what people say about them. Uh, and, you know, the toughest job we got this week is trying to explain to everybody that Kent State's a really good football team. And I know you think I just sit up here and say that, but you turn the tape on, uh, they've got a really, really good football team. And it's not so much about Kent State. It's really about does our team want to grow? And uh, this is a week that we need to have growth. we we got to get better in a lot of spots. And, you guys don't get to see it from our perspective and the fans don't get to see it from our perspective in terms of what we see on tape and the mistakes we make and how many guys we need to get better, but uh, certainly going to need them to get better this week. So Kirby Smart does not do comparisons. That ain't his thing. That ain't his thing. Uh, And props to whoever that was that asked them the question because they probably knew the answer that was coming. Um, And they still asked it and we get a soundbite out of it. So that's good. Kirby Smart's going to pretend 
all week that Kent State, uh, you know, are the, they're the 07 Patriots, they're the 1985 Bears, they're the greatest football team ever assembled, and nobody believes them. You guys just don't understand. Uh, he can sell that somewhere else. You know, I don't know that he needs to be doing that, but that's right up his alley. I think Kirby Smart gets off on that. I think he gets off on that. Uh, you know, Georgia has beat the hell out of its two Power Five teams so far, and they, you know, pretty much took it easy, cupcake style, against Samford. I wouldn't be surprised if it was similar this weekend against Kent State, maybe 35, 40. And then call off the dogs. Uh, if, it, if it keeps going like this, if it keeps going like this, Carson Beck may get more playing time than Stetson Bennett in the regular season, which is wild to think about. Anything else on Georgia? I'm trying to think here. Uh, I guess not. Stetson, though, Heisman. A lot of people are talking about that, but I don't know if he's going to play enough to, to even be in the conversation. Again, he's got five passing touchdowns on the year, no interceptions, 74% completion rate, almost 320 yards per game, three rushing touchdowns. But, but all of that's coming in limited action. I don't think he'll be in Heisman contention unless Georgia starts to have the need to play him all four quarters. Uh, and I don't envision that happening. I don't envision a time where Georgia's going to need Stetson Bennett for all four quarters. At least no time soon. We'll see, though. It'll be interesting. I mean, it's hard to... Sometimes it's hard to watch these games, man. Like I said a couple weeks ago, it's kind of boring. Kind of boring when South Carolina can't even, like, make a game of it. Again, congratulations to Shane Beamer, though. They did score a touchdown. He deserves a lot of credit for that. Sweet Potatoes Kitchen, the best place on the south side of Savannah to get your lunch Sweet Potatoes is a sponsor here on the Hot Grits Podcast. They are open on Mondays, 11 to 3 p.m., and then Thursday through Saturday, 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. Go check them out. Um, Eat in person. You don't have to deal with any nonsense. Pull right up, park. Go inside and eat. Great sweet tea, great southern food at Sweet Potatoes Kitchen at 531 Stevenson Avenue. You can also check them out on Facebook. Go like their page. If you want to call ahead your order for to-go order, um, it's a perfect place to do it if you're on the south side of Savannah. So call them, 912-352-3434. 912-352-3434. Sweet Potatoes Kitchen, the best southern food you can get in the city of Savannah. Um, Georgia Southern did what I expected them to do. I knew they were going to lose at UAB. You could just feel it. It's like the rain. You could feel it in your knees. You could feel it coming. They lost 35-21 to 21, uh, at UAB this past week. Tackling was terrible. Um, and, you know, I, I think Georgia Southern, if it said that, Clay Helton said that, that uh, and I'll let you guys hear a clip of Clay Helton on Monday afternoon in a second, but he said during his press conference on Monday that, Georgia Southern, quote, sold out to stop the run. If that's the case, it didn't work. UAB had 288 rushing yards. 288 rushing yards. Dwayne McBride had 223 and 4. 
That's the most individual rushing yards that Georgia Southern has given up since 2014. Crazy. But not all losses, I mean, you know, I guess every loss isn't equal. And, you know, there are some positives, I guess, that could come out of this. Uh, Let's let you hear this question or this response from Clay Helton on Monday when he says there are three things that he looks at when his football team loses, three things that he wants to see um, from his football team after a loss. Uh, So here's that quote from Monday in Statesboro. You never want a loss, but you want three things. One, you want to see your kids fighting till the absolute bitter end, which I thought they did. Two, you, when you enter the locker room, you hope they're hurting and they're angry and they, and they want to do better. It was evident to be able to see that. And then three, you know, you want your guys to not worry about what happened to them, but how do we move forward? And that's what I saw yesterday in practice with a want to of being able to, hey, this is what we need to do. These are the corrections that we need to make. Uh, and now let's go get one and zero on the week. We've got to make those corrections. This is an important game for us. Um, one, being back at home at Paulson for uh, homecoming, uh, but also having the opportunity to get to 1-0 on the week uh, and make some corrections much that are much needed going into conference play. Alright, so there's Clay Helton telling you what he wants to see from his team after a loss. Wants to see some fight. I liked this though. Wants to see them hurt. Like it should hurt when you lose. I remember growing up, I was always told, like, you know, after you lose a, a, an athletic event, like in youth sports, baseball, basketball, football, whatever it may be, after you lose, it should feel shitty. It should feel bad. And you should remember that feeling. So the next time you go out, you try not to have it again. If it doesn't feel bad when you lose, you're probably used to losing. And Georgia Southern is not that. But it is a little disappointing that uh, they get all that attention after a 2-0 start, after a win at Nebraska, and then they lose on the road at UAB. I mean, they were double-digit underdogs. So I guess it's not, like, shocking. But, you know, the offense wasn't bad. I didn't think. I mean, they only scored 21 points, but it wasn't bad. Their offense is going at a crazy rate, Georgia Southern's is. Um, I mean, it's incredible, the transition that they've made. They're fifth in the country in total plays. And they've only played three games. There's only one team in the country that has played three games that's run more plays than Georgia Southern, and that's Northwestern. Uh, The other three teams ahead of them in total plays have played four games. And they're not that far ahead of Georgia Southern, having played an entire game more than them. They're averaging 82 plays per game. They're first in the Sun Belt in offensive yards per game, uh, but they're dead last in, in rushing yards allowed per game. They're 98th in the country in total defense right now. That's not going to cut it. Not going to cut it. Uh, before we talk a little bit about that defense, here's Clay Helton um, on Monday afternoon when he was asked by Jake Wallace uh, what I thought was a pretty good question. Where is the offense right now, three games in to this monumental transition? I feel like Clay Helton's response, he's talking directly to me because I said that they were rolling. 
Here's where Clay Helton thinks the offense is. The question from Jake Wallace of WTOC. Coach, a little bit off that. We're a quarter of the way through the regular season. Where Are you guys where you thought you'd be about this time offensively? There was so much made of the, the culture change and the scheme change and everything mm-hmm. like that. Three games in, are you where you thought you'd be about this point or well, ahead of behind? It's a new system, and it's such a drastic change. I mean, you look at one game, you have five – 500-plus yards. Next one, you have 600-plus yards. It's the past one. Uh, you have 400-plus yards. A lot, of t- a, lot of, a lot of people be like, oh, my God, you're rolling. For us, we know there's more out there. Um, the one thing that I have been really pleased with is the balance of the run game and how efficient it has been for us. I think there was even more that was left out there uh, that we could have had in last game, and we need to we need to get that, especially if teams are going to drop eight and play coverage like we saw versus UAB. Um, and then we've got to take what the defense gives us. Don't force things. You know, don't force things. Go ahead and, you know, look at the check downs and just be able to take what the defense gives us. And be. we were so explosive in the first two games, this team – UAB was going to make you go the long way. And it was going to be about moving the chains and making those 10, 12, 14 play drives. And I thought we got a little bit impatient at times, you know, with that. So um, if teams are going to play that way, then we need to look up and, you know, be able to have a very strong run game that's able to uh, move the chains with our pass game and spacing plays. So there's Clay Helton acknowledging that maybe, maybe we got ahead of ourselves, and myself included on what this Georgia Southern offense is right now. I think, you know, when he's talking about taking what the defense gives him, he's probably talking about Kyle Van Treese's three interceptions uh, in that loss at UAB. That's the kind of thing when you have a defense that's 98th in total defense, like 98th in the country. Um, You can't be throwing three interceptions and then getting no takeaways. So it's the second straight game in which Georgia Southern's defense didn't get a takeaway, uh, and if you're turning the ball, if you're minus three in the turnover differential in any game, you're probably going to lose. Even so, Georgia Southern had a chance there in the fourth quarter. I mean, the game was within seven points, you know, with time remaining in the fourth quarter. They could have done it, um, but they didn't, but they didn't. One notable bad thing coming out of that game, Todd Bradley Glenn uh, hurt again carted off the field I think it was you know it's it's everyone knows the story if you're a Georgia Southern fan about what that guy has gone through the linebacker I think he had seven tackles in the game you know even though he didn't play the whole game it seems like he's out for the year I you know I wouldn't be surprised if his career is over tough man that's really tough for him because he spent all that time rehabbing over and over and over and over and over again and for some guys it's just you know, it's just bad luck. Just bad luck. So Todd Bradley Glenn, likely not going to be around for Georgia Southern uh, moving forward. Hopefully their tackling will be better this weekend against Ball State. 6 p.m. kickoff on ESPN+. Plus. Georgia Southern, a nine-point favorite over Ball State. The over-under there, 58 points. Um, if I was a betting man, I would take Georgia Southern to cover there. I'll take Georgia Southern to cover nine. Don't know about the over-under at 58. I mean, it seems like it would be the over, right? Georgia Southern running like 80-something plays per game. 98th in defense. Seems like there would be the over there, but maybe that's too easy. Um, One more thing on Georgia Southern before we move on. Anniversary this week of sorts. 
September 25th, the now infamous Gavin Adcock beer chugging video on top of the Georgia Southern school bus. Uh, part of the reason, part of the reason that Chad Lunsford was fired, um, you know, right around a year ago this week. Right around a year ago this week. That's crazy that it's been a year since Lunsford was fired at Georgia Southern. Um, so I wanted to, you know, at least note that, that, you know, one year ago this week, that's where the program was. And people around the program, fans, people listening to this, you remember how toxic it was, right? Especially that week. They lost 28-20 to to a really good Louisiana team, and it felt like the world was falling. In Statesboro, it felt as toxic as it could get. I mean, we know how the rest of the season went in 2021. Not great. Not great under interim head coach Kevin Whitley. Um, but, you know, one year later, the Eagle, Eagles are 2-1, and one. They're favored to be three and one. Uh, by the time I talk to you next week, you know I wouldn't be surprised if they're three and one. I, I would actually be surprised if they weren't. You're halfway to a bowl game if you win this week against Ball State. And look, if you can get to a bowl game this year, that is a tremendous success, in my opinion. I mean, it's a tremendous success, in my opinion, because you, they had like a, I think a 23 percent chance, according to Bill Conley of ESPN to make a bowl game before the season started. I told you guys they were only going to be favored in three or four games all season. This is one of them. I would qualify this one as a must win if Georgia Southern wants to make a bowl game, and I think they will. I should say I think they will win this weekend. Still not sure about the bowl game. We'll see. I'll reserve judgment, or I'll hold off my judgment for that uh, for another day. All right, let's hit a little golf before we get to the NFL and high school football. President's Cup this week at Quail Hollow in Charlotte. I love this stuff, man. I love the USA versus anyone else in the world in any sport at any time. I love that. And so even though the USA is a heavy, heavy favorite, they're minus 650 at the sports books to win. They've won 11 of the 13 President's Cups all time. Uh, and their team is absolutely loaded. Guys like Patrick Cantlay, Scotty Scheffler, Tony Finau, uh, Jordan Spieth, Kevin Kisner. Um, who I'm, I'm leaving off a bunch of guys. Sam Burns, uh, Justin Thomas. They're really, really, really good. And I, you know, I don't think that the internationals have much of a shot. But boy, I'll tell you that I, that I think a lot of the uh, content and a lot of the talk this week will obviously continue to be around the, the live tour and those guys not being involved in this. You know, those guys not being involved in this event. Uh, I don't know that's going to take away any luster from it, but it's going to be talked about that Cam Smith isn't there for, for the international side. That, uh, you know, former Mr. America on the golf course, Patrick Reed won't be there. Dustin Johnson won't be there. Brooks Kepka won't be there for the Americans. Um, still a lot of firepower, still a lot of name brands there at that event in Charlotte. But that's going to come up and it's going to be a talking point. Uh, I, you know, I think that 
again, I, I've made my point on this pretty clear. I don't think the live tour guys should be banned from events like this, but I understand why. I understand why they are. You have to de-incentivize going to the live tour. If you're the PGA tour or if you're the Europe, European tour, uh, you have to like, have some drawback for going. This is one of them. You don't get to participate in events like this. It is cool, though, because those guys aren't going to be there. Guys like Kevin Kisner and Billy Horschel are going to get to play on the American team, and I don't think they make the team if, like I say, all those other guys are there, Kepka, Johnson, Reed, those other guys probably go ahead of them if they're not on the live tour. But they made their decision, and, and they'll have to live with that. So President's Cup starts Thursday at, I think, 1 p.m. are the uh, first tee times. On Thursday afternoon, that's on the Golf Channel on Thursday and Friday, and then on NBC Saturday and Sunday. Again, Americans trying to go 12 of 14 at the President's Cup. All right, it was another wild and crazy week two in the NFL. Um, Just like week one, the Falcons were losers in week two. They lost 31 to 27 out in L.A., Um, of note, the Falcons were down 28-3 to at one point in this game. Um, and as we all know, any time that the score gets to 28-3 to and the Falcons are playing, there's going to be a lot to say on social media. There's going to be a lot to say. And after the game in L.A. on Sunday, there were a lot of people that had a lot to say about Kyle Pitts, about his role in the offense, about his lack of touches through two games. Uh, after having a thousand yards last year as a rookie, a th- over a thousand yards as a rookie, Kyle Pitts through two games now has 38 yards. On Sunday, he had two receptions on three targets. Um, really, it was four targets because I think one of them was a penalty that that was called on him. Uh, two receptions for 19 yards for Kyle Pitts, who, by the way, is the highest drafted tight end ever. And this is what we talked about when they draft him. If you're in this position that the Falcons are in, drafting a tight end makes zero sense. And Kyle Pitts is really good. Like, I know Kyle Pitts is really good. But it doesn't make sense for this bad of a team to have this big of a weapon at tight end because you see the result. It's three targets. It was three targets. Arthur Smith, who's now 0-2 this season, again, as the head coach of the Falcons this season, Arthur Smith 0-2, but he sounds like he's the greatest coach of all time when he was asked about the lack of targets from, for Kyle Pitts on Sunday evening. And we look at uh, the numbers, and I don't know what all is going on, but Kyle, yeah. Kyle Pitts is... Yeah, Kyle's a huge part of our offense. And I know this, and the thing is, you just got to take it with context. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same thing we're trying to win, and he has a huge impact on the game. And so that's a really good uh, front and certainly probably the most dominant interior pass rusher in the last decade. And so when you're sitting there using different things to try to stay on track because the guy can be a nightmare, and Kyle is such an important piece, and, you know, the ball, we go after him or he's targeted, and other guys made plays. So, you know, it's like a perfect example. You target him on one, and um, if they cover him, or they, they account for him, and then Hodge comes in there and makes a big play. It happened uh, a few times, things like that. It's not fantasy football. We're just trying to win. And uh, we'll continue to, to, to look at everything and, and try to get better. 
All right, so there you hear it straight from Artie Smith's mouth. This is not fantasy football. Um, well, if it was fantasy football, like I think Art Smith would still be 0-2. I don't like the... I, I never have liked this guy's shtick, this guy's vibe. Uh, I, I don't, like, give me him over Danny Quinn any day of the week. But, like, the arrogance with, like, to try to explain away a failure on your part, to try to explain it away by saying it's not fantasy football... Um, that shit doesn't work anymore. That kind of stuff doesn't work anymore. Fans don't buy that kind of thing. They're smarter now and they see through it. That is not an excuse for not getting him enough targets. Three targets in the game. Now, because of the lack of targets, Drake London had a great game. But, like, the Falcons, if they can't get Kyle Pitts the ball, then what are we doing? Then what's the point of any of this? If you're not going to see what you have in Kyle Pitts, you know what you have in him. He was a 1,000-yard receiver. The Falcons are terrible. We know that. Um, but, but I thought that was interesting what Arthur Smith had to say. They're at Seattle 425 on Sunday. They're going to go to 0-3. I'll go ahead and call that now. Um, all right, little high school football brought to you by the Prep Sports Report, prepsportsreport.com, the number one source for high school sports. In the Savannah area, 100% free to read, no ads, um, no subscriptions, none of that kind of thing. Uh, recaps on Friday nights, or I should say the, on the weekends of high school football. Um, also, you know, all other high school sports in the area. So if you're interested in prep sports or, or youth sports in the area, or if you, know, you have a specific athlete that you think has a great story, you should tell. Carl and those guys at Prep Sports Report, or just visit PrepSportsReport.com. You can find them on Twitter, at PrepSAV, Instagram, and Facebook as well, PrepSportsReport.com. Savannah Christian at Calvary this week, both teams undefeated. That should be a monumental one. I believe it's the third time ever that Savannah Christian and Calvary have met where both teams are undefeated. I think it's the 44th all-time meeting. Between Savannah Christian and Calvary, Savannah Christian holds the all-time record, twenty-six to seventeen. Calvary won last year, twenty-one to nothing. Uh, this one has all the ingredients. If you're a little chef in the kitchen, stewing up a a, a great game, this is this is what it would look like. Because this one has all the ingredients that you need for a great high school football game. Um, and I wrote this week in my column in Connect Savannah about some of the connections between the two sides, um, some of the hatred, some of the fear of losing to the other side. Um, so you can check that out on connectsavannah.com. Um, and I believe that that Savannah Christian and Calvary game is on WSAV TV this week. It's taped late at 8 p.m. Um, the game kicks off at 7.30. Um, you can find out you know, more about that game and more about our, you know, the rest of high school football scene in this area on PrepSportsReport.com. So we appreciate them for sponsoring us here on the Hot Grits Podcast and sponsoring this segment. Top five this week. Uh, I'm going to go Calvary 1, Benedictine 2, Savannah Christian 3, Richmond Hill 4, New Hampstead 5, and I'm going to go Johnson, number 6. Johnson's won three in a row. They're 3-1. and one. They host Liberty County this week. We'll see how good the Adam Smashers really are. 
I don't think anybody wants that six spot in my Savannah Six. Nobody wants it. They're going to have to fight for it. All right, until episode 134, we'll see you guys next time. Stay safe. Wash your hands, you filthy animals. Savannah's premier indoor baseball training facility, SBPA is owned and operated by Ross Howard, and together with instructors who have played college and professional baseball, Ross and SBPA offer customized instruction year-round for baseball and softball players, full-length batting cages, pitching mounds, and a state-of-the-art technology to measure improvement are just a few of the highlights over at the academy. Call Ross at 912-484-5282 and visit the Savannah Baseball Performance Academy on Facebook for programs, teams, camps, and more information about how to take advantage of this great venue. Savannah's only year-round indoor baseball facility, Ross Howard, our guy. Give him a call, 912-484-5282. Commercial and residential electrical services that you can trust. 
Braddy Electric is Savannah's number one electrical services for commercial and residentials since 1970. It's family owned and family operated. Reach them today at 912-233-1561 or 1104 East 35th Street. Braddy Electric, that's two D's, B-R-A-D-D-Y. Five stars on Yelp, five stars on Google reviews, and Savannah's number one electrical servicer since 1970. Call them today, 912-233-1561. 